0: From downtown Milwaukee, welcome to
1: Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective.
0: This is Money Talk for December 8th, 2023, the second night of Hanukkah. Holiday lasts for eight days, and coincidentally, there are eight correct ways to spell Hanukkah. (laughs) Your Milwaukee Bucks have five, count them, five home games in the next ten days. It's a great opportunity to see Giannis and the guys at the forum. Your Green Bay Packers, who've won three in a row, got a little extra help last Sunday from the wife of Packers defensive back, Jonathan Owens. We're talking about the GOAT, Simone Biles. This Monday night, the Packers in New York with the Giants. Simone might be there, too, but I hear it's a Taylor Swift free zone. (laughs) Okay, let's go. In Georgia, a man was short on cash, stole the city bus, and took it and the passengers for a joyride. He dropped off some passengers at their stops, and the rest rode along with him to his final destination, the Waffle House. (laughs) Apparently, stealing buses really works up an appetite. In Moody, Alabama, a three-acre pond has dried up leaving thousands of dead fish to rot in the sun. Locals are upset because they can smell the stench even inside their homes. This brings back memories of the annual alewives die off here in Milwaukee's lakefront. For weeks in the summertime from the 60s to the 90s, there was a unique dead alewives fragrance in the air. So much so that outdoor dining in Milwaukee's east side wasn't really an option. And some people tried to profit from it with Milwaukee in the Summertime Cologne. It was a gag gift thing. actually made you gag. Now for something really weird, a man in Vietnam went to the hospital complaining of severe headaches along with other disgusting discharges. Upon further examination, the doctors found two chopsticks had penetrated his brain through his nose. I don't think he's using them correctly. And finally, a Kentucky resident is furious. After his $200 giant inflatable Santa was gunned down in an apparent drive by shooting. <laughs> Somebody's getting cold for Christmas. But hey, Kentucky is cold country, so everybody's getting cold for Christmas. On the podcast today, we have Mike Helzel, Tom Pappenfu, Still Dreasing, and wrapping up the week. Here's Kyle Tedding.
1: Well, perhaps investors may be the only ones not getting cold for Christmas. Another strong week for markets. The NASDAQ up 7 tenths of a percent, closing at 14404. The S&P 500 up two-tenths of a percent this week. That's up 10 points, closing at the bell, 4,604. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average just about flat for the week, adding two to close at 3,6248. For the year, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 11.6, the S&P 500 up 21.8, and the NASDAQ up 38.7%, all including dividends. You know, maybe a, a nice reminder that patience has paid off recently after a strong November. Um, but really, maybe the place to start today is with you, Joel, and that is looking at the employment data that came out, uh, signs leading into the report that maybe we were in for a little bit weaker number than what we had seen, some some signs potentially that the economy was showing some, some softness. We've been talking about that for a while, and the fact that maybe that's a good thing that there's a little, too much becomes the problem, and then all of a sudden we got a, a a data point that suggests that, well, yeah, maybe a little softer, but still quite strong. The, the labor market still looks pretty good.
2: Yeah, it does, Kyle. And you know, and part of this is just the expectations. If everybody's saying we're expecting, you know, one hundred and forty thousand, and it comes in at one hundred ninety-nine, um, that seems like a big difference. But it's it, it, it is actually showing that the the economy is growing. That it's resilient that employment is resilient but it's it's slowing down. It's um, that 199 that uh, the number of jobs that were added in November compares to 240,000 a month over the last 12 months. so there's your slowdown right there. If you take out the the number of workers from auto workers to um, screen actors uh, who were striking, in October and, and they went back to their jobs in November. If you take that out of the equation, the, the number 199 is closer to 140 or so about what it was in, in October. So we're seeing signs of slowing down. And and even more than that, I mean, I, one of the things that we occasionally talk about are the number of temporary jobs. Those. Uh, you know, over time have been a harbinger of uh, trends in, in hiring. And those have been down nine out of the last 10 months. Uh, so that's maybe a sign that we're going to be sl- slowing down even more. But again, we're still adding jobs. Uh, so so that says a lot about how strong the economy is, even though, you know, interest rates are at 22 year highs.
1: And I think the interest rate going back, a month looked very different. And that's part of the story that was told through November was, hey, if things are weaker and rates are moving that much lower as a result, especially on the the longer side of the yield curve, you know, a 10-year treasury from almost 5 down to 4.1 at one point in time. Well, Friday, we got a nice little pop in interest rates as a reminder that, well, if the data looks a little better, then maybe interest rates can stay higher for longer. And Mike, you know, as we get into... The, the kind of pivotable, uh, pivotal Fed talk next week, um, you know, I think the Fed remains in focus and interest rates are kind of the key for that conversation.
3: Yeah, I mean, as everything the Fed has done for the past, going on, what, two years now, it's all about the interest rates. And I, was, I found the conversation interesting over the last few months, I think you guys have heard it too, talking about rate cuts in July and then rate cuts potentially in May and then potentially in March. And you're right, Kyle. What this report did is it allows the Fed to kind of stay with their interest rates, like not cut them, but hold them for longer, right? And as you said before, that's not a bad thing, right? Because the economy can support it. And even if we don't get 200,000 jobs a month, but we get 140, or if it goes down to 100, that means there's 100,000 more people still working with money in their pockets. That's not a bad thing, no matter what anyone tries to tell you. Just remember that. No, if As long as people are working... That is a good thing, I mean, right now we're twenty two straight months of sub four percent unemployment. that's over a fifty year record. I don't know how you can spin that into a bad thing, and if the cause of that is rates staying
4: higher for longer, then that's okay, right? and I want to think to emphasize your the point you're making, Mike, is what I think this modestly Better, I guess, unemployment or surprise, but it it, it kind of reinforces of uh, the narrative that Fed Paul was constantly trying to make to to temper market expectations that. again, the worry that they're concerned, although I think a lot of the market has moved on and is looking towards, um, you know, uh, an environment with lower interest rates, uh, you know, and lifting uh, asset prices. Um, But, you know, you constantly hear the message from him of trying to temper that expectation, be prepared, there might be another rate hike. And again, if you see this a little bit stronger employment data, you know, it kind of, you know, that kind of adds to their messaging that, Hey, be be prepared that things could still tick up, and so it kind of reinforces that message. It's kind of a nice way of the data um, showing through rather than just a lot of spin and just narrative. I mean, oh, sorry. I mean, I think
3: you're exactly right, Tom. I mean, what this report does, um, it allows the Fed to take their time and kind of stick to their plan of kind of tactical rate adjustment. And the other thing is, they can't come out and say mission accomplished, right? Because if they do, then every I shouldn't say everything, but a lot of the stuff they've done to get here goes away. They have to be very prudent. And you can, you have to parse their words. But if you look at what some of the Fed governors have said, some of the more hawkish ones, you could see where I don't think they want to raise rates anymore, but they're comfortable holding for into probably middle of next year at some point, at least.
1: And what's so interesting about this conversation to me is that the market has had a very different opinion than what the Fed is talking about um, and so I get the question from clients of, well, what's, what's it look like if we're going to get recession, if we're not going to get recession? Um, and I don't think I've gone an appointment now in the last couple of weeks without saying, well, here's what I think, but I'm going to be wrong. And the problem is I don't know how I'm going to be wrong, and I don't know when I'm going to be wrong, and I don't know specifically about what. But in the environment we're currently in, if we're wrong to the upside, great stocks have earned their keep they're going to do a little bit better next year and you as an investor get the benefit of that it probably means that your bonds are flat to slightly positive it's a lot better than down two three four percent but you're not going to get this massive return because interest rates aren't suddenly falling the way they did in November the best month for bond in 40 for bonds in 40 years interest rates aren't maybe going up a ton more but there's room for them to go higher and so that's a bit of a headwind for bonds but if i'm wrong the other way and if the economy is weaker than we think now well okay your stocks probably don't do as well as we're hoping but your bonds all of a sudden are providing the cushion that they couldn't provide two years ago and so if i know i'm going to be wrong this is the environment i want to be wrong in because i'm compensated for that error in thinking you know Tom, it's difficult to talk about being wrong after a month like November in which it seemed like everything worked. Um, Of course, we've talked about strong returns so far this year, even before November. The challenge at the time was it was really only coming from a a couple of key places. And it seems like in November especially, we started to see a bit of a broadening of where those returns come from.
4: Yeah, I think uh, just in the last couple of weeks, it's really been emphasized, um, you know, this uh, concept, uh, I've talked about in meetings, I'm sure everyone else here has, is just a, about market breadth. Um, when you, you know, again, to <laughs> refer to that, um, I guess uh, uh, the um, naming reference to some of those the, those leaders, the, the Magnificent Seven, they're up you know, roughly 19%, uh, excuse me, the S&P's up about 19%, but if you take them out, the s and only up about 8% on the year. Um, and so what we've seen as of Thursday is actually 81% of the S&P 500 stocks are trading above their 50-day moving average. So it's a really important sign that it's it's you're seeing more stocks start to participate. Um, and actually, over the last month, uh, the Russell 2000, kind of general measure of uh, smaller companies uh, in the U.S., uh, tr- publicly traded companies, uh, as well as when you look at the S&P 500 from an equal weight index instead of... a um, you know, just a market cap weighted is actually outperforming just the, the market cap weighted index. So, it, it, again, these are important signs to see. You know, as I kind of typically tell my clients that we want to see more companies participate as, as, as a greater sign of overall market health. That when we do have these imbalances in the markets, it does make us susceptible to greater volatility, uh greater swings in the markets. Obviously, uh your nerves stand on edge a little bit more uh, in those kinds of times. Um so the definitely important signs over the last again the last two weeks that we've started to see that spread out that people are starting to look for more values that people are starting to rotate um you know as we've seen valuations and small caps mid caps averaging only about 13 to 14 times earnings again when you look at the magnificent 7 i believe the average uh, pe ratio on them is about 32 times earnings so if you are looking from a, at these at this from a fundamental basis um, money's going to start to track and go towards those um, you know better value companies especially if there is some worry about you know perhaps some slowing in the economy
1: and mike maybe one of the concerns that i hear is that so much of what drove economic growth the last couple of years and in particular some of the higher inflation was this idea that we had basically two years where we couldn't spend the money we wanted to spend at least on the things we wanted to spend it on and so you know banks like j p morgan put numbers on what's the excess savings that accumulated during the pandemic uh, that subsequently got spent down now we had an analyst from j p morgan this week say that Uh, essentially 80% uh, of consumers have spent that excess savings. I know everyone around this table has done their part to try to spend their money. But, you know, I know you and I have talked about this idea of excess savings, and the conversation on spending doesn't simply end just because that COVID money's gone.
3: No, it's the word in there is excess, right? I mean, you still have savings, you just don't have excess savings. And some of those savings, as we discussed, is or people can still spend because wage growth has gone up, right? They've grown their wages. You're making a little bit more money, so you have a little more money to spend. But now things cost a little bit more. So it's not a perfect apples-to-apples, you know, comparison or balance. But when you see articles like that say, oh, the excess savings is gone from COVID, well, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a shock. It's been, what, three years? I'd be shocked if it wasn't gone. I mean, because as I tell my clients – What do we do here in America better than anyone else? If we've got money, we spend it. We are the undisputed champs in the world of spending money. And a lot of times on stuff you don't need. So God knows I'm guilty of it. Um, I mean, ask my wife about my Air Force One collection. But I digress. Um, You're right, Kyle. I mean, just because excess savings is winding down doesn't mean people don't have savings. And it also doesn't mean that Americans still don't have money to spend To help support GDP in this country,
2: Mike, that's a great point. And not only do people still have their jobs, and as you point out, a lot of them have higher wages from those jobs than they did four years ago. But um, we we saw uh, in a report this week from the Fed that uh, credit card borrowing is up. So that's you know it's been up thirty out of the last thirty one months, and so that money is available for people too. And again, that's what's driving the economy is consumer spending.
1: And of course, revolving debt and auto loans and mortgages are all things we keep an eye on to get an understanding for what a household finances really look like. Because your ability to spend tomorrow has a lot to do with how much you've spent of your earnings today. And so, making money is important. Having savings is important, but important, but also how how much you're spending now. And so, I think that's an important point to watch. You know, the, the credit card spend, the credit card uh, savings, is what. What does that look like as we transition into next year? Are we earning that money or are we spending more than we spent before? Did we as consumers build bad habits because we had some excess savings for a few years? And rather than pull back once those savings were gone, do we just keep going ahead and spending money now that we don't have? And so I think that's really where my eyes are. It's less on, well, yeah, the excess savings are gone and more on how do we as consumers respond going forward.
2: We had a discussion last week, Kyle, about um – consumer uh, sentiment. And we had some numbers today that say that, you know, consumer sentiment actually, you know, bounced back from just in the last month and pretty dramatically, according to the University of Michigan. Um, And maybe that's what happens. I mean, because there's been this disconnect between uh, people being saying that they feel gloomy about the economy, but they're still spending money. And maybe, you know, when push comes to shove, and if the economy keeps uh, landing, whether it's soft or hard, but it, it's slowing down, maybe people will start um, translating some of those sentiments into not spending as much.
1: Yeah, we may have been a little hard on the University of Michigan last week and some of our comments on maybe the importance of that data going forward, not them specifically, but just looking at some of those surveys and trying to understand what they really mean in the current environment. And you know, a lot of conversation, I think, that's going to evolve on that over time. But Ultimately, it boils down to, are consumer spending or aren't they? If they feel good, if they say they're feeling good, does that translate to spending? And what's that mean for their ability to spend down the road? Joel, maybe a, a couple of other economic data points that I looked to this week, things like productivity gains, ISM, uh, you know, service sector information. That kind of tells us how are different uh, f- uh, places within the economy doing. Sure.
2: Yeah, um, we also had uh, weak uh, factory orders. Um, showing that the manufacturing uh, sector isn't doing all that great. and um, it's uh, again, it's still it's still growing overall, but um, that's slowing down. Um, you, you mentioned the ISM services industry, which is the biggest part of the economy's services and that was up for the eleventh month in a row. still not robust, um, but it's 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 tooling along. Um, trade deficit, which, you know the trade deficit. The bigger the deficit, the more it detracts from GDP, from our you know main main measure of, of economic growth. Um, and that got bigger, so that was not good news. But that got bigger in uh, in October. So yeah, um, as Mike called it, a, a mixed bag of things. Productivity is is a good thing. You know we've um, we've we've been growing the economy um, and. That's that's not a number that I'm comfortable looking at in a shorter term. Um, Over a longer term, you know that I think you can tell a better story. But um, that's been a positive sign lately.
1: And of course, we know that the the two ways you grow your economy are you grow your workforce so you make those workers more productive. We are not an economy largely that's growing its workforce all that much, and so. Um, if we're going to see gains economically, we have to see them from productivity growth. And so the trend there, as you say, rather than any single number, I think is far more important to what's happening here in the U.S.
4: I think that, that mixed data point, too, the the constant back and forth and some good, some bad is Really, just I think it's the characteristics of a soft landing that we want to see. It's it's not getting too extreme to one level or the other. So I think it's important as long as we keep seeing that that's it's going to read you know reinforce that idea of a soft landing.
1: Well, at least for now, the passengers on the plane still pretty happy that uh, we haven't crashed. Um, But you know, the soft landing, Tom, that you say and that we've we've talked about for a while now, remains intact. We'll continue to kind of keep an eye on what the data looks like. Continue to talk about some of the bigger trends. But um, you know, I think. With a few weeks left in the year, difficult to be upset about uh, you know how strong returns have been, difficult to be upset about kind of the outlook from where we are, at least right now. With that, we enjoy doing the program for you. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at Landis.com.